mate, the rest. This one's yours, boss. Never called me boss before. Oh, well, look what happens when you're good. Okay, ten men on the roof, all exits covered. The bank's closed, so we've no hostages to worry about. Sorry, not go on. Go on. Um, we've got the tunnel entrance covered, and Davis, Willow, and Christie are heading up on response on Macking Road. Sorry, I better get this. It's him, isn't it? I, I, I have to go. What? You make the arrest. No way. Sorry, you'll be fine. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. Back up! I need maximum backup. Baker Street now. Good this is hard. What? Really hard. Hardest thing I've ever had to do. Do you know any funny stories about John? What? I need anecdotes. Didn't get any trouble, did you? to the film room we have a special guest with us today hi it's amanda shin indeed it is it would make more logical sense for me to be the one to do the introduction that's true yeah <laughs> i mean i am after all the one who lives with her <laughs> i think you're just being jealous <laughs> you wanted to say my name <laughs> yes uh, for those of you who listened to the uh, previous cast that we released the uh, brutal kind you uh, likely heard Amanda's voice then, back in 2012. Well, she's still she's still right here around, and so we're having her on this episode because we're discussing uh, Sherlock, the BBC show that, in my opinion, is the best film franchise on television. Yes. I can agree with that. And since she happens to be a fan, uh, we felt like it would be a logical time to have her on at long last. Since you just referred to me as a fan, I'm going to go ahead and jump into it right here and just address the whole uh, Cumber, B-I-T-C-H thing. You can say it. I can say it. I can say Cumber, bitch. Okay, I wanted to make sure before yeah, go I ahead. went out there with a curse word. I know that Benedict Cumberbatch doesn't like it, and I know that a lot of people are all, oh, it's not feminist and blah, blah, blah. I understand that. I consider myself a feminist, but I still, I'm a Cumber, bitch. I am. I'm, I, it just fits. Um, so some people might have a problem with that, but I'm just going to go out there and say I'm a Cumberbitch. <laughs> nice. He has quite the fan base, uh, and make no mistake, they follow him. My cousin from California just uh, left uh, about five days ago. Uh, I think I did my part in introducing her to a healthy amount of Bandit Cumberbatch while she was here. We watched uh, the second Hobbit, Ooh. and uh, I introduced her to an episode of Sherlock, and she thought it looked interesting. See which episode? It was the um, the season two premiere, Scandal and Bagravia. Okay. Yeah. See, if you're going to use any episode as like an introduction to the to someone, that's probably one of the best ones you can use because it has so many of the elements that make the show tick. You've got Holmes' character just about as well summed up as he ever gets on that uh, in that episode. 
just to be clear, are we going spoilers on or off for this? We're going spoilers on. We always go spoilers on. Okay. Especially since um, the new season just came out this year. I wasn't really sure whether we wanted to do that. Of course, it's been a while now. It's Our... been long enough that the, that it's now on Netflix, so I think yeah, spoilers true. are allowed. That's true. Yeah. Fair point. Uh, interestingly enough, if, if the show is a Netflix original, that doesn't automatically mean spoilers are on. But True. no, they're they're on for this one. I mean, I suppose we should briefly give an overview of what the show is about for those who don't know. Uh, the show is, of course, a modernization of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories. It's an update. It's set in the present day. But really beyond updating it and definitely changing a lot of the plots, a lot of the plots are very loosely based on the Holmes stories. The characters are absolutely straight out of Doyle. I mean, these are the characters that you read about. The show was created by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gaddis, uh, both veterans of uh, Doctor Who. And there is a huge crossover in the two fan bases. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, what is it? Uh, Doctor Who, Sherlock, and Supernatural? Yeah, Supernatural. Super Who Lock? Yes. Super Who Lock. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which you know we are. I I I've dabbled a little bit in Doctor Who, but I think the reason that I jumped so strongly into Sherlock is because I grew up reading the Arthur Conan Doyle stories. I am a Sherlock Holmes junkie till the day I die. I I'm a massive Holmes fan. I'm trying to remember, Austin. Was it you or was it me who decided that we should start watching the show? That's what's interesting about this. It was you, actually. <laughs> I thought so because I had so many friends, um, you know, on my Facebook feed, on my Twitter, whatever, talking about the show, about how great it was, and that's really the reason that I tried it, and I'm glad because that word of mouth really, uh, you know, brought me to a great show that I love so much. I think it's important. Um, you were talking about introducing the show earlier about just talking about what it's about. I think it's important also to note the structure of the show. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. That it's a three episode per season. Um, each episode is movie length. It's an hour and 30 minutes. And so it's something different than any other show I'm watching or have watched before. So that's nice. Um, you get a big chunk of the show at once, which is really enjoyable. The only downside is that there are only three episodes. So you always want more. But I think that's that's the sign of, a, of something great is when you want more. Oh, yeah. And each yeah. one, even so, each one is so satisfying. It's true, because while the episodes fit together in a longer story arc, each episode has its own individual narrative that it starts and finishes. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah, there's there the, that's why we refer to it as the best film franchise on TV, because really that's that's what these more feel like. I mean, we're in an era where movie franchises are starting to feel more serialized again, which they yeah. used to once upon a time. We can blame Marvel for that. <laughs> yeah. To the point where uh, even where people who probably wouldn't have given Guardians of the Galaxy a shot gave it a shot because they knew it fit into the grand narrative. Right. So, yeah, with Sherlock, you do have that experience that each episode is 90 minutes. And it's important to note, it doesn't look or feel like television. No. No, see, I was gonna say I was gonna use the term "made for TV movie" when we're talking about it being, but it's it's really, really not. It does not have that feeling. It definitely has a big motion picture feel to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel at all 
cheaply made right. uh, in any sense. Uh, part of that is I noticed that they do have feature directors working on it. I know Paul McGuigan is the guy that did a number of the episodes, and he's a cinematic director. I guess something that sets it apart from made-for-TV movie territory, for me anyway, and this may be just because I'm an American and I'm not British, I'm used to American television, I feel like there's a lot of things that they show on this television show that most network TV shows might not show. Language, for instance, but I know that that's more of a British thing because they've got a lot... Yeah. Um, the, their rules as far as curse words and violence and things like that are looser for what they can show. They're a little less uptight. Right, exactly, than, than, the, than the Americans, I guess you could say. You also have, uh, especially in the episode of Scandal in Belgravia, a lot more sex they can get away with. Right, oh, yeah. right. And they they don't really show any... There's a nude scene, but like everything's covered up. But it's probably a lot more than they could get away with over here. Oh, yeah. It's more the yeah. tone of that scene, because it's not a case where that's played for laughs. Right. No, they're definitely playing up the sexual element of it. Mm-hmm. Do you know the big problem with a disguise, Mr. Holmes? However hard you try, it's always a self-portrait. You think I'm a vicar with a bleeding face? No, I think you're damaged, delusional, and believe in a higher power. In your case, it's yourself. And somebody loves you. Well, if I had to punch that face, I'd avoid your nose and teeth, too. <laughs> Could you put something on, please? Uh, anything at all, I... Napkin. Why? Huh? Are you feeling exposed? I don't think John knows where to look. No, I think he knows exactly where. And there's just this, I mean, yeah, there's just this general tone of something you could never get away with on American broadcast TV. Obviously, for cable, anything's off, but it definitely feels different from something you would have over here. Um... I also think American broadcast TV would be afraid to make their main character what an outright bastard Holmes is. <laughs> yeah. He's in that he's in that territory of what I like to call lovable assholes. Because he is an asshole, but you, you can't help but like him. Yeah. And I think I think that's evidence in the characters on the show that interact with him. The people that are close to him, John, um, Mrs. Hudson, and what? What's the? Uh, she works at the lab. She uh, she Molly. she does Molly. Molly. Yes, yeah. like those characters. They all love Sherlock and care about him so much, but they also know how insufferable he is. Speaking of, I feel so bad for Molly. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think she she kind of takes your your heart. She's such a soft character. Mm-hmm. You know, and she's so sweet. You really do. She really is such a, a sweet, nice character. And she does wear her feelings on her sleeves in sharp contrast to probably Holmes' best foil on the show, uh, his brother. Mm-hmm. Who is actually played by the show's co-creator, uh, Mark Gaddis. Oh, that's who that is. Yeah. Nice. And the idea was initially that he was only going to show up on the first episode to establish that the character was, yes, in this universe. But he proved such a fan favorite that he's in, I think he's in every single episode of season three. I believe it. But yeah, I mean, with Molly, you just, you feel for her. Because she is so in love with him. And what's interesting is if you watch the show gradually, you see how that crush dies pretty hard. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that, though. 
I think that I think maybe we're made to believe that that crush dies. You're probably right. Yeah. And I can't help but, and this is maybe a very specific detail, but since we're talking about her love for him, uh, the Christmas episode, um, when he he's oh, just yeah. oh, it's just terrible to her, just absolutely the worst. So you've got a new boyfriend, Molly, and you're serious about him. <laughs> Sorry, what? Thanks, you're seeing him this very night and giving him a gift. Take a day off. Shut up and have a drink. Oh, come on. Surely you've all seen the present at the top of the bag. <laughs> Perfectly wrapped with a bow. All the others are slapdash at best. It's for someone special, then. Shade of red echoes her lipstick, either an unconscious association, one that she's deliberately trying to encourage. Either way, Miss Super has love on her mind. The fact that she's serious about him is clear from the fact she's giving him a gift at all. That always suggests long-term hopes, however forlorn. And that she's seeing him tonight is evident from her makeup and what she's wearing. Obviously trying to compensate for the size of her mouth and breasts. You always say such horrible things. Every time. I am sorry. Forgive me. And there's a moment when Mrs. Hudson and everyone in the room kind of gasp and you see that softer moment of him because he realizes how terrible he's been and he leans over and gives her that kiss on the cheek and tells her that he's sorry. And then his phone goes off with the, um... Ah! Ah! No, that wasn't... No, I, I it didn't... it was me. What, well, really? What? My phone. It was that such is... a great moment that... Uh, I think that really shows um, how this show is really great at doing something dramatic and something funny together at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is a show that very much has a, a there's a strong vibe of humor to it. It's something that wasn't quite in the original Arthur Conan Doyle stories. Uh, Doyle tended to limit that um, in no small part due to what kind of a person Doyle was. He was. He was not a very humorous individual, let's just say. That there, that, but yeah, there is such a wonderful vein of humor, especially in the episode where we meet the parents of Sherlock Holmes, and they are hilariously the opposite of what you would expect. They're so normal. No humming, you. Complete flake, my wife, but happens to be a genius. She was a mathematician. Gave it all up for children. And, uh... They are played in a nice in-joke by uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's actual parents. Which oh, I love. That's wonderful. Yeah. The, the show, as I said, I mean, you, you have, it, it does draw this inspiration from the classic stories. But I love that uh, a lot of the cases that they kind of skim by that we, uh, we hear about but don't see are based on cases from the books. Oh, yeah. Oh, for God's sakes. The speckled blonde. <laughs> exactly. This is a show where if you are a Holmes diehard, you're going to see so many in-jokes, so many references, so many tiny little things that were put in there that give away what huge fans of the original material uh, the creators are. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good sign, too, because you know that the people that are creating this show know the source material and I wouldn't call myself a diehard Sherlock Holmes fan the way that Austin is as far as reading the original, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle. But I can remember reading Hound of the Baskervilles in, I don't know, seventh grade, probably, and just loving it and being so in love with it. And then coming to that episode, Hound of the Baskervilles, and just being rocket excited about it because it was something I already knew. And while they changed that particular episode quite a bit from the original... 
it was just so nice to see that throwback to the original in such a big way. Yeah, they the probably my probably my favorite uh, in terms of taking the original story and giving it a twist would be Scandal in Belgravia because of how much they do draw a pretty healthy amount from the original story. Uh, they just take it in some very different angles, like making Irene Adler, she couldn't be just the scandalous woman from the original stories, because, I'm sorry, it's the modern day and it's Great Britain. No, she ha- they had to step it up, so of course she's a dominatrix. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have to say that that is my that episode of Scandal in Belgravia is my favorite episode of the show, and I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. Like I've already told you, I'm a Cumberbatch, and I think Benedict Cumberbatch is super sexy. And that episode was some of the sexiest television I've ever seen in my life. Not just because I personally think that the star of the show is attractive, but because there isn't any sex, and there's exactly. such there's such a build up and during that entire episode you get her at the beginning of it completely naked in the same room with Holmes. Yeah, it's just it's just an interplay. It's a game. It's it's they're right. playing with each other. Yeah. And they establish this, um, she's texting him, you know, and she's asking him all the time, Let's go to dinner. Right. And and she's not saying let's go to dinner, she's saying let's fuck. And I just, I love that. I, I thought that was just brilliant through the whole episode. And, and like, I watched it with Austin. I was like, this is just, I can't even take it. This is so sexy. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. And that, that was another thing that I liked. I wasn't expecting it. And they kind of blindsided me with it in a great way. Yeah. One of the things I love about the episode is every time his phone goes off. What was that? Text. A, he never changes it. Right. And, and B, he never apologizes for it. You're, that's, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, I love the fact that when she later shows up in his imagination, he's downright baffled by the fact that he's still fixated on her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I think that sums up exactly how Holmes feels. He's like, she's the one person who got through, which again, goes to the original stories. Which is really important for his character, and like you said, to the original stories, because he's very much played as this sort of asexual person. Mm-hmm. Even though he is such a heartthrob, Benedict Cumberbatch anyway, you know, in the real world, um, in this show, he's played so non-sexual. So that's sort of an interesting, con- you know, contrast. Yeah, I think about the only, I mean, yeah, she's the only character who really gets through to him and really and it's because she challenges him intellectually which makes sense for Sherlock Holmes the ideal woman would have to be somebody who would challenge him intellectually right she presents him with this puzzle that it takes him a whole entire episode of the show to discover that the key you know the code to unlock the phone something that he would normally you think a task that small he would he would decipher so quickly, right? Um, but it took him all the the entire episode, and I think, like Austin said, that's one of the reasons why he was so stuck on her because she kind of fooled him. And what's funny is when you when you realize what it is, it's so obvious. It's right. yeah. but Sherlock. I both love and hate the fact that there are T-shirts with that on it because you know, for one, that's a clever like that's a clever thing for a shirt. I'm glad that exists. 
Right. But for two, it spoils the episode. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Which does stink, because that is such a, again, it is such a great episode. It is, Yeah. I'm noticing we haven't once hit on the real key of the show, which I find kind of funny that we're this deep in and we haven't t- uh, mentioned uh, John Watson once. Oh my god, I, you're right. I mentioned John, but but only in reference to Sherlock, so it wasn't an yeah. actual reference, you're right. Yeah, uh, which is funny because, let's face it, at this point, Martin Freeman has played the only material he didn't wind up in, in terms of major British literature, is Harry Potter. Somehow he didn't, because he was Arthur Dent in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Around that time, I think uh, he was uh, still in the British office. Yeah, British office. He's, uh, of course, been Bilbo Baggins. If you've seen the Fargo TV show, he's in that. He's doing he's doing a Miss Olden accent. Or, or, or say you're up a ladder, cleaning out the gutters, and you fall off that darn thing and break your neck. These things happen every day. We should also pause to note that um, as of this year's Emmys, uh, both Freeman and Cumberbatch are winners, are Emmy winners for their performances on the show. Sweet. So proud of them. They really deserved it. Yeah, they did. The episode that they got it for was a, a brilliant uh, piece of writing to... Um, which one was which it? I, the wedding uh, it episode? Was, oh, yes. That's my no, favorite. No, it was, one it was of the season them. finale. It was, oh, okay. I thought it was the wedding episode. The wedding episode is my favorite one of the season, though. It is mine, too. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's amazing. But, I mean, Freeman really... I, I, I want to pause to bring him up because I just... I love his work on this show so much because he's doing what he does best, which is being the exasperated observer. He just... He's looking at all this going, oh, come on. <laughs> I love that, that you said that because you're right in The World's End. That's that's sort of the character that he plays in that movie as well. He's sort of the rational of the group and just sort of tired and exasperated with all of the tomfoolery that's going on, you know? Yeah. And and that's that's him in this show as well. And you're right, he does that he does that really well. It always comes back to Edgar Wright in some way for us, doesn't it? It does. I'm okay with that. That's this. an okay thing, right? That's yes. an okay thing. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Yeah, he that's what Freeman is so great at, is being the guy who's just standing around going, oh, come on. And he gets so many opportunities to do this, um, especially in uh, the uh, empty hearse when he's when he finds out that Holmes is alive. And instead of being thrilled and relieved, he's just I mean, they go through that wonderful (laughs) knockdown drag out through the restaurant fight. I love it. Oh, yes. It was great. They keep progressively getting kicked out of different bars and restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and while we're on that discussion, especially of, of Holmes and Watson's relationship in the show, I have to mention um, their interaction that they have when they're first introduced by it's uh, Watson's friend from school um, when he's looking for a roommate. And how everyone else seems to be so exasperated and annoyed, possibly even offended by Sherlock's behavior. And John is instead captivated and awed and impressed by what Sherlock can do. And there's that, that great moment of them in the cab where he, uh, he pretty much tells them his whole life story just based on his cell phone. You know, and, and Watson's like, wow, that that's amazing. And Sherlock is surprised. He said, what do people normally say? He's 
to tell them to bugger off. You know, <laughs> don't analyze me and tell me all about myself, you freak. But, you know, instead, Watson was amazed and, and intrigued by it, which is and awesome. that comes And that comes full circle when you hit the uh, season finale of uh, season three, where Holmes and uh, another individual uh, managed to really analyze Watson and get to the core of his character. Uh, as in the original stories, he's an army army doctor who fought in Afghanistan. And that actually was Watson's um, original backstory uh, which, in the original. Which I did not know. And you told me that when we first started watching it. And, and I really didn't know that. And I thought that that was a cool, a cool way to spin it. It's a nice update. It, it is. They also, they, they give him the psychosomatic uh, limp as a way of uh, dealing with the fact that uh, Arthur Conan Doyle was pretty bad about explaining where his war injury was. Look, it was the days before computers, and a writer couldn't easily keep databases of everything he'd written. <laughs> and my God, Doyle wrote so much stuff, so of course he got that wrong. So the decision to make it psychosomatic, again, that just goes to show you how much research they did into these characters. Well, right, and it was an opportunity also, I think, to show uh, the way that their relationship was going to pan out. And it was like Sherlock was Watson's savior in a way, almost. It kind of woke him up from where he thought that he was just this sort of hollowed out shell of a soldier who didn't really know how to function in the normal world. And and Sherlock showed him that you don't have to be a part of the normal world, be a part of my world. And mm -hmm. you can run and keep up with me. You know, your injury isn't real. And with the whole getting him to leave the cane at the restaurant so just to keep up, that was yeah. brilliant. That was great. It was. I mean, the idea that the idea that Watson is a soldier who is addicted to war. I mean, that's that's hardly a new idea. That's I mean, it feels like I would not be surprised to know that the uh, show's creators were fans of the Hurt Locker, which had a very similar idea. But it works. The idea that Watson is a soldier who he needs a war. And that's what Holmes gives him is a war. I, I love that idea. We are full spoilers, right? I can say this. Yes. His wife. I honestly did not see that coming. Me nope. either. Completely surprised. Yeah. But when they, you know, there's the point where they sit down and explain it. Is everyone I've ever met a psychopath? Yes. Good that we've settled that. Uh, we... Shut up! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... Damn. That's... I, I feel like it's for that scene alone that the Emmys were won. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know that episode won, it, I know it at least won for directing, and I'm almost certain it won for writing. I'm not sure. But, I mean, that is one of those moments that's just, I mean, it's incredible. And, again, it's a mark of the fact that if this was something that had played on the big screen, I sure wouldn't have walked out feeling like uh, my money was wasted. It was so cool, the moment at Christmas at uh, Sherlock's parent house when the he just throws the thumb drive into the fire. Like, I don't care. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this great deliberate choice. And while we're on the set, you know, while we mentioned that uh, Holmes' parents were played by his real-life parents, I should note that uh, Amanda Abington, who plays uh, Mary Watson's wife, that is uh, Freeman's real-life partner as well. Uh -huh. This show is really big on that, I notice. It's just, it's, it's real chemistry. Right. It is. Why make the effort to act when you can just do it for real? Right. 
I, well, I would like to believe that their uh, real-life relationship isn't quite that <laughs> unnerving. Um, well, maybe maybe I just mean as far as, as their chemistry goes. Yeah, it, yeah. It, does, it does pay off, especially because what I love about Mary is that she's amused by them. Yeah. She finds Holmes endlessly entertaining. Uh, that's another thing I liked During, after the first interaction. She's, I think she, it might have been just my memory uh, skewing it, but I think there's a moment where she just flat out uh, looks at uh, Watson after Sherlock leaves and says, I really like him. <laughs> I like him. What? No, it's, 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 not your, it's not your faulty memory. I definitely... Yeah. Something to that effect definitely happened. Yeah. She's definitely very amused by that moment. It makes me remember, um, there's a moment, uh, I believe it, it's the, the wedding episode, uh, where Watson is helping her with some of the wedding planning, and she really wants to get rid of him and wants him to leave, but John doesn't realize that, so she gets Sherlock to kind of take him away and and in reality john didn't really want to be there at all and he was actually trying to get out of it so and using sherlock <laughs> so they're both using sherlock to get rid of one another without even you know realizing it and that was one of those brilliant like dichotomous moments it was great it, it great. is it is the the show it really does have that that uh, the character interaction is what drives this show the mysteries, it's its funny, for a show that is ostensibly a mystery-driven show, it's funny how frequently those take a back seat. Which isn't to say that the mysteries aren't good, they're usually amazing. But the, the show really is about the character interactions. I agree 100%. I, can re- I feel like um, it's been, I did watch a little bit before this cast to try to, you know, just refresh things in my mind, but... When I really think back on everything that I remember from the show, I remember so much, so many more of those small moments like that that made me laugh or, or made me sad than I do remembering the overarching theme of the episode or every detail of the mystery that they solved. Yeah. I'm a sucker for character and, and character relationships. So maybe that, but I, I, I guess it's not just me because it's something that y'all are noting as well, but. I really think that's where the brilliance of the show shines through. Yeah, I th- I think you I think you're absolutely right on that. I mean, you know, as I said, the the, the mysteries are usually pretty well done. Uh, the uh, probably my favorite one so far would be well, I mean, it would be the grand overarching mysteries that run the show. Uh, which I'm I'm kind of wanting to hold off on that. I want to get into that, but. You know, a lot of the small ones are very clever. Probably my favorite example of the mysteries all pulling off, though, is the wedding episode, because initially it really doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere with the mystery plot. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, my God, this is actually they're really trying to do something serious here, because initially it seems like there's a lot of fluff moments where Holmes is giving his toast and telling these stories that clearly go nowhere the idea of the mayfly man and the guy that uh bled out in the shower but they could never solve those cases and then you realize no just the opposite they're connected (laughs) they're connected and they're connected right at this very specific moment in time when you you love that because i can remember having this storm of emotions while watching him give 
his speech, um, being proud of him, and then being so ashamed of him and thinking, oh my God, how how have I ever liked this character? What a prick, you know? And, and, and then, oh my God, there was a reason for all of it. It all came together mm-hmm. in the mystery part of it when really the entire time you're just concentrating on on the character relationship because you're worried about Sherlock. Is he going to be able to make it now that John is married, you know? Right. Great writing is done so that you're looking at one thing and then they're actually doing something else. And you go back in retrospect. uh, I've come to think of it as the prestige principle. Yes, yes, yes. Where (laughs) you, you misdirect the viewer, but then you make them go back and realize that it was so obvious in retrospect what you were actually doing. And this show does that a lot. Um, I want to get into one of my favorite characters on this show, because, again, we haven't yet gotten to him. But, oh, my God, I love James Moriarty so much on this show. He's fucking creepy. <laughs> he is so much win. Oh, my God. He, he is the craziest uh, villain that I can think of. And I love that. I'm a sucker for crazy and absolutely insane. And he really is. And he sells it. In that way that, like, really makes your hair kind of stand up. Consulting criminal. Brilliant. Isn't it? No one ever gets to me. And no one ever will. I did. You've come the closest. Now you're in my way. Thank you. Didn't mean it as a compliment. Yes, you did. Yeah, okay, I did. But the flirting's over, Sherlock. Daddy's had enough now. Because it's not just that, oh, he's evil. It's like, who? what is his deal? He is a freaky freak, you know? It's and, that he's unpredictable. And, and yeah. you can tell he's having fun. Oh, yeah. There's this manic, sickening lead to the character. He, the, the, the actor that portrays the part, and guy, it's killing me that I'm not remembering his name. Um, his name is uh, Andrew Scott. That's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to say it and be sure. Scott is absolutely terrifying and what's really terrifying about his performance is that he can play restrained he can play dialed back when moriarty is pretending to be somebody else it's like, which like when you meet him for the first time as molly's boyfriend yeah and what's hilarious about that is they out and out tell you if you know enough about the character they refer to him as jim so if you if you know the character, that should be a sign that, oh, this show is probably going to introduce Moriarty earlier. That's probably him. But no, you're you're not thinking that. Well, and it's like you said, it's one of those things where they're doing something that's so obvious, but you completely don't realize it until you go back and then say, that was obvious, but they they had me fooled. Well, even even then, before that, like the very first episode, uh, they're trying to get you to think that Mycroft is actually Moriarty. Right, right. Yes, with the with the old man who is uh, forcing people to kill themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when we find out what's actually going on, the scene between the Holmes brothers in that first episode is one of the funniest moments in that season just because you see that these are two grown men who are highly intellectual and they're just engaging in good old-fashioned sibling rivalry. Yeah. It, it's beautiful. And that's that relationship to a T. Well, that's, I can remember, you know, meeting Mycroft and uh, when John meets him, when they, they come and pick him up in the, in the limousine and take him to this 
shady, abandoned uh, warehouse type of place. And he meets him and he asks him who he is. And and he says, according to Sherlock, I'm his arch nemesis. Exactly. And John's <laughs> like, people don't have arch nemesis. They have people they like and people they don't like. What are you talking about? <laughs> it is. Exactly. And again, that's a great example of Watson just being like, oh, come on. <laughs> I, it really, it's, 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 it, it is wonderful. And yeah, they do a nice job of setting that up because, of course, at this point in the story, Holmes doesn't know who Moriarty is. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, Scott's version of Moriarty is phenomenal. And that really says something considering that the last guy to do it was uh, Jared Harris. Um, I've uh, tried to avoid talking about the 2009 filmed franchise i guess i have to yeah. uh jared harris uh from fringe played uh moriarty for fringe uh, which what part does he play in fringe he's david jones david robert jones or as we yeah. like to call him david allen jones for yeah no you guys are always reason. giving me yeah you guys are always giving me the wrong name so um that's because we've decided that that's the name we like to call him yes i, yeah, I know we, that we have changed the character's name for our own personal preference. <laughs> but, but the point is, yes, that was that was who did it in the uh, Robert Downey Jr. film franchise. Uh, he was okay, but he wasn't as well used as he should have been. Uh, yeah, I, because in, he's kind of fantastic as an actor. Yeah, he's I, have, great. I haven't seen the, the film franchise. I have to admit, I have not watched them, so I can't comment on that. The first one's good, the second one isn't. That's all it comes down to. I have only seen the first one. The the, the first one's good. Um, Downey is a good Holmes for that style of Holmes. Jude Law is a phenomenal Watson throughout. Jude Law is a fantastic actor. So. Exactly. It's just that the second one turns cartoonish, not very well plotted, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like a Sherlock Holmes story. It's one of those uh, money sequels. Yes, yeah. it's very much that. Um, it's a shame. Um, it, it's a shame. And I should note, we haven't seen Elementary. I no. I hear it's good. I'd even probably like it. I, I like Johnny Lee Miller, who plays Holmes in this one. But I haven't seen it. I'm not particularly drawn by anything that they're doing with it. It just doesn't really grab me. So that's my stance on it. I hear it's very uh, female and LGBTQ friendly. Which is good nice. for them. Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. That's. I don't have anything against it, but I feel like I'm so into right this version of the show that if I were to go and watch it, that I would be prejudiced. Dis- yeah, I'd be prejudiced. Yeah. I would be disappointed, not because it was a poor show, but because it's not this show, which I'm very attached to. Yeah, because I mean, again, I'm hearing it's very good. In fact, in all likelihood, now the fact that I'm talking about it means that I'm probably going to have to hit up the library and watch it just because I I, I can't resist challenges. My brother-in-law made me watch uh, Arrow season one, and I'm about to start season two. So I take challenges, people. <laughs> but yeah, getting back to the Moriartys, uh, you know, Moriarty is one of those characters. He's not actually in the original home stories very much. Uh, he's more played up for Sherlock than anything else, which is funny since spoilers on. He's dead in the third season. Yeah. He's, but he's dead, but at the end of it, we know he's not dead. He's dead, Jim. <laughs> well, no, yeah, yeah. Jim's dead. He would be the more accurate one, but... Yes, right. yes but I couldn't resist. I know. Um, <laughs> no, that was a shock. 
Yeah, both both things that happen there are a shock. But you know, you be- you very plainly see him shoot himself in the mouth. Right. So they're gonna have to really weasel their way around that. I expect them to cheat, and I'm fine with that. And while we're while we're on the subject, I love the fact that throughout the first episode of season three, they have they put forward three different theories as to how Sherlock faked his own death. I was gonna note. Oh, sorry, I was gonna note the same thing, Al. You're you're completely <laughs> right. I agree. I love that, especially the second one. Like one is the first one's like really overly complicated. Uh huh. The, the second one is this like the simpler one where you see like a paper mache. Sherlock and him and Moriarty are just giggling into a <laughs> and then and then they start to kiss and then they pull back it's like are you out of your mind I don't see why not it's just as plausible as some of your theories look if you're not going to take it seriously Laura, you can... I do take it seriously ends up being this like fangirl yes. type of character yeah this show knows its fans <laughs> you're right they they really know their audience they do <laughs> and that's I appreciate that so hard. Yeah, as, a, as a fangirl myself, I have to say <laughs> that, yes, that was great. And that's an idea that I really love about the show that they come up with, is the idea that Holmes has fangirls in-universe, that mm-hmm. he is a celebrity, that people know who he is. Because of the blog. Because of the blog. Because someone like Holmes would, in real life, attract that following. He would be seen... I mean, he's this guy who solves these spectacularly cases, and, um, well, he looks like Benedict Cumberbatch, which... I was gonna say, you can't, I mean, when you look like that... Yeah. Of course he has fangirls, and I just want to pause to note, I heard this noted one time, and I agree with this completely. Isn't it great that a character named Sherlock Holmes is played by an actor with an even more ridiculous name? (laughs) (laughs) It's the... I've also heard it's the most English name on the face of the earth. He we is got... like the most English man on the face of the earth. His yes. face is English. I mean, he just looks British. He really does. Austin and I were discussing this the other day, and I mean, it's definitely not a bad thing. It's just no. he he is super British. Well, I mean, he's playing Sherlock. He's playing Sherlock Holmes. He needs to be the emblem of Britishness. Um, <laughs> Britishness, the, I like that. When you see his face, you need to hear, Oh, Britannia, Britannia rules the waves. Again, <laughs> to talk about a, to talk about a movie that at this point spoilers are fully on and we've already griped about it before. Again, this is why I didn't feel like he was a good fit for Khan. Because it's like, no, you look nothing like Ricardo Montalban. You act nothing like... No, I, I, I love Cumberbatch, but I think they would have been better off not ever having named the character Khan. Well, and Cumberbatch is more of a, and I and I could say this in a few of the other things I've seen him in, he's very refined. You know, I don't really ever see him playing a slouchy sort of person. Or, you know, he's just very, it's like he's always standing very straight, you know? And even in even in Sherlock, where there, there, you see a few times when he's d- sort of down, like the time when he's homeless slash pretending to be homeless, doing drugs. You know, even through all of that, like you see him in his bathrobe and his like dirty underwear, but he's playing the violin. So yeah, I, I just don't know that he could pull off, and maybe not just Khan, but that it, it's just not him. It's just yeah. not, you know? He can't do rough and tumble, and I think part of that probably comes from the fact that, again, 
he's the son of actors. I know that's his upbringing, is that his parents were both actors. Well, I know also his family is apparently fairly wealthy. He mm -hmm. went to, I think they said, the the most expensive and best, you know, renowned schooling in Britain. And, yeah, he's he's a little upper crusty. That said, the guy can de the guy can definitely have fun on a set. Uh, anybody who has seen the footage of him doing the motion capture for Smog, <laughs> or anyone who has heard him reading uh, on Jimmy Kimmel reading the lyrics to a uh, oh R. Kelly to oh, R. Kelly really? songs. Yes, that is that's a fangirl's dream. Bodies so freaking soft. I can't wait to turn you on. You got me like la 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 la, baby. Anticipation's so crazy. I'll be good to you. Promise. Go to sleep. And when we wake up, I'm going to hit that thing again. <laughs> yeah, he really sells it. He really sells it. It is a thing of just deranged glory, though. Well, and I wanted to go back to a point that we talked about earlier about how you said that the show is funny, despite the fact that Conan Doyle's stuff really wasn't. And I think it's because they do funny in that that very dry British way. Like, they don't tell jokes. It's not like a but up bum like, laugh track. It's like, Sherlock is funny. Just, he's such a dick. That's funny. You mm -hmm. know, his, his ignorance to normal people is hilarious. It is. Those, mm -hmm. those are the things that are funny, and they're not jokes, per se. No, you're right. You're right about that. Absolutely. I mean, he's just somebody who, he doesn't get it. Right. And that is something that I love about the character. It, it is a lot of fun watching this character who just is. I, I do have to ask y'all, what would you say if you had to name a least favorite episode? Which would you pick as your least? Probably the second episode of the first season. It just kind of dragged a little for me. Uh, see, I actually like that one. I like the girl in the museum. Yeah, I liked her story. But I can see, I can see what you mean by that, about that one dragging. Yeah. It's the closest the show ever comes to falling into a formula. It's like, if it was to become, like, a formulaic show, that's the formula it would have taken. Yeah. It just never did, it just never goes into a formula. Yeah. Which is great. Even though I was talking about how great this episode is earlier, and I think that this speaks to the fact that the show is so great, my least favorite episode is still an episode that I have wonderful things to say about, mm -hmm. but I do think the Hounds of the Baskerville one, to me, was uh, my least favorite. I didn't like all the stuff with the... Uh, with the scientist and the the rabbit and the I want to say that I didn't I didn't not like it but it didn't grab me as much and I think a part of that also is because the episode before it was a scandal in Belgravia the one that I went oh my god it was so sexy and then the Hound of the Baskervilles wasn't sexy at all <laughs> and it also <laughs> it it falls in a bad gap and that is my pick too by the way but it, it falls in a bad gap because the next episode is the Reichenbach Fall, which is right. absolutely so brilliant. This is Moriarty's grand plan, and his grand plan to ruin Holmes is genius. Mm -hmm. And so you've got two episodes on either side that are 
absolutely tremendous. And this one, I also didn't, I also think this is the one time where I felt like the mystery was anticlimactic, so to speak. Um, because it turned out to be fairly predictable. I saw where they were going pretty clearly, and it was an interesting idea, but I didn't quite think it was as well executed. But there are still some wonderfully fun moments in it, uh, especially when it flashes back to showing uh, Holmes just dicking with Watson. Yes. <laughs> All right, keep talking. I'll find you. Keep talking. Tell me what you're seeing. Yeah, the show has so much fun with it. It's it's such a unique thing, the way that they have this structured. Um, unfortunately, it also suffers from the fact that, okay, because they want the best actors in Britain to do it, they have to have long delays in the schedule. Right. Yeah. And that's something that really frustrates me, is that it's if you... It's heartbreaking for a fan. Just so that we're all clear, we will get Avengers 2 before we will get the next episode of Sherlock. Yeah. I know. It's so by, depressing. By a good seven months or so, actually. Because I think we're going to get one episode at Christmas next year, and then a full season in 2016. It makes me glad that I didn't start watching in 2010 when it originally started. Yeah. Because I really would have had a hard time. When I started watching it, Um, the, I believe the first episode of the third season had just aired. So yes. We were able to watch season one and season two on Netflix immediately, um, and then to go on further and watch the third season as well and before it was on Netflix. But um, you know, now it's there as well. But if I, I think if I'd had to wait this long for each of those seasons to come out, oh my gosh, they might have lost me as a fan. Um, not not because I wouldn't have liked the show, but because it's hard for me to. Uh, I'm a binge watcher. Of, of television shows especially it is harder for me to uh remember what's going on and to really i also am a, a stickler for details so i want to remember every tiny thing so that if there's any tiny reference to the episode before it or an episode that was 10 episodes before it i want to catch that stuff yeah exactly and I, I to me i think that's one area where i think the show more resembles a film franchise because right. As I noted, we had the wait between the Avengers films, but then again, it occurs to me that even those we've been getting at a much more regular clip. I mean, for God's sake, we got Iron Man 3 and Thor 2 the next year, and then we got Cap 2 this year, so... Yeah, and Guardians. And Guardians, but again, that one sits almost to the outside, although, you know, you know we saw it a second time, right? Yeah, you told me that. I want to put a question out since um, I believe it was Al who asked earlier what was what were our least favorite episodes so this is sort of a similar question who is your favorite supporting cast member of the show i think that's miss hudson for me me too yes and i have to say that she has a soft spot with me because of the weed that she smokes which is hilarious <laughs> to me yeah that's... absolutely so funny when i saw that in the uh the uh, last episode that that was her weak spot like uh -huh. from the the quote-unquote weak spot, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> well, it does right. make sense with her backstory. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, here's the thing. I I don't know if I would say he's a supporting character. My my closest guess would be Mycroft, probably. I mean, that's, <laughs> he is a major enough that I suppose you could argue he doesn't count, but he's also supporting enough. But that would probably be my pick, would be Mycroft. It, it's, 
Mycroft's right up there for me with Miss Hudson because I love him so much. I love his... He's just as big of a jerk as Sherlock is. Yeah. And I love that he is a part of the British royal uh, community. I guess I'm for any of British fans out there watching, I'm so sorry that I'm not using the correct terminology. Um, I'm an ignorant American. But uh, yeah, the, the fact that he's so cloak and dagger and he has all this power and it's great. I love how Holmes puts it, which is... Uh, when Mycroft says he he's uh, high up in the British government, Holmes uh, corrects him and says, no, he is the British government. Right. Uh, yeah. Which is very much how it was in the books. Again, that's something there are just so there's so many small details that they lift from the books and the stories that I just I loved it. Well, it's like the idea that he's so powerful that like he can bring John and Sherlock into the palace. Yes. You know, um, and he can bring he can bring Sherlock into the palace naked because he has that power. He can do that, you know. I love, I love their <laughs> giggling in that scene. I love how Holmes and Watson are just looking at each other. They're like, "Oh my god, you know where we are." And doesn't he steal? They steal an ashtray. I'm yes. going to say from the palace, which is a great. And I know, especially for British fans, they probably really dig that, you know, more so than the American fans, because obviously, you know, we don't have a palace. But, you know, for us, you would go into the White House and, you know, right. steal a, a an ashtray or whatever. That's great. You know, that's brilliant. Love that. So funny. It, it is. It's it's one of those great small moments. I also, you know, we mentioned the blog thing. I thought that was a really brilliant uh, way of handling the uh update because initially the idea behind the home stories was that these were they were written by Watson and the idea was that we were reading in universe his missives that he wrote on the subject which several some people have uh, updated this I've read some that have been really bad updates of this you know like there are so many lost cases so to speak that other writers have tried to do I've only read one quote unquote lost case that was actually worked and that was one actually approved by the arthur conan doyle estate and it's good enough that i wish it would be that i consider it canon within that universe uh but i mean you see that a lot the idea that okay that was the idea when their stories were published in the strand magazine was that these were supposed to be the cases in you know in universe we were getting these from his perspective and so the idea of making him a blogger was a brilliant way of bringing that forward I agree. I've noticed that we haven't said anything negative at all about the show. And I might be just be pay, like playing devil's advocate. But and, and honestly, I, I would have a hard time finding something that I dislike about it. But are, is there anything like anything that sticks out to either of you that you think is just bad? No. Mm, I can't really think of. I mean, there are things there are moments that don't always work, I think, as well as they should. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know that I fully felt like the climax of season three was quite as solid next to the previous two climaxes, but it was redeemed with that wonderful last shot. But to me, those are to me, it's one of those things. I, I'm of the opinion that I don't I'm not flooded with a lot of mixed things. I mean, if if we were to sit down and go episode by episode, I could really probably find more stuff. But I mean, looking at an overall view uh I mean, even their handling of a minor character like uh, Inspector Lestrade is perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's just how good they are. They make him 
a major character and do a good job. But even the things that I don't like about the show are important and good. Like, um, I can, I'm struggling to remember her name, of course. Um, the other police officer who you see often with Lestrade, she's a woman. Sergeant Donovan? Yes. yes. Yeah. Sergeant Donovan. But she, you know, she just hates Sherlock. And because of that, I just hate her. I hate her as a character, but you're, you're supposed to hate her. Yeah. And so that's one of those things, like, I hate her, but in a good way, because you're, she's supposed to be, and she's really, I think, a representation of what a general person might think of Sherlock in a way that we don't get, because we yeah. have these, these other people that really recognize his brilliance and respect him, despite his flaws. But she's the person that's like, no, guys, like, he is a freaky deaky, and I don't like him, and yeah, screw that guy. Yeah. You know, but because of that, I hate her. I have, I will say I've seen it pointed out that it is kind of a shame that the one person of color that we get on the show is this a character. character that you don't like. Yeah. And I, I feel like that is something that probably the show could work on a little bit more. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I don't disagree, but at the same time, I don't particularly, I, I don't, I don't care is what it comes down to. I, I'm only reviewing what I've got in front of me, and what I've got in front of me I really quite enjoy. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, as I said, it, yeah, if we were going episode by episode, I could probably find a lot more stuff that I dislike. Uh, but no, I mean, it it's so enjoyable. I mean, as I said, I do feel like, I think the reason that I was so quick also to jump on season three was because the climax of season three was because of the fact that the first half of that episode is so brilliant. That first half is so quick moving and exciting and and so and so i feel like it pales next to the to all that i just didn't think the villain was as good i have to note because this is one of my favorite things about the show and austin said something about fringe earlier and they do something kind of similar to this but not they don't go as far as sherlock does i absolutely love how they um display things on the screen during the show Mm, yes. Like the text messages or how, like when they're showing Sherlock thinking in his mind palace, they show yes. this like swirling around his head. They show, um. Yeah, I love that. They put the big words up when they're going to a new place to tell you where they're at. Um, I love that. That is just absolutely awesome. I love when they play with that too. Like, um, you know, Scano Bogravia when he. Yeah, you know, she first comes in the room naked, and he just said, comes up with question marks. Right, at, right, right. Looks at Watson. Yes. It's like, do I still have it? It's like, okay, I can deduce this and this and this and this about Watson. Look back at her. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Yes. See that? That's an excellent yeah. example of when that's really good. And I just, I is, just yes. love it. Same when they uh, try to solve a case drunk. Oh, that was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. That was great. Yes. <laughs> you alright? Mm? Yeah, it's cleaning. What? He's, mm? He's cleaning for looks. Mr. Holmes! I'm calling the police. Oh, no. What do you think you're doing? Don't compromise the integrity of the. <laughs> Crime scene! So I had to mention that, though, because honestly, it is one of my absolute favorite things about the show. And I'm glad you did, because that is one of the most visually distinctive things about it. Right. It makes it its own. Thank you all so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And I'm so glad that it was this set.
you guys let me talk about because it's something that I love so much. So thank y'all. Oh yeah, we we will have you back on at some point. There's a couple of topics that are in the offing, but we'll okay. have you back on. Yeah, but thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> it was a joy to have you, Amanda, and yeah. uh, I think you and I will need to hang out again sometime soon. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> if you're lucky. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Al. It was nice to talk to you. Yeah, see. All right, bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. So let's do our uh, little wrap-up. I think next is Marvel. Next is Marvel, yes, in this in this continuity. Yes, in this continuity, next is Marvel, which we have in the can already. That's right. We will have plenty of stuff to talk about uh, from the last year. It's not, It's Marvel number three. Mm-hmm. Although I, it's funny in the time that we've since we've uh, recorded that uh, Guardians did go on and ahead and become the biggest film of the year, which is uh, super sweet. It's great, but it's still weird to me. I know just be just because we spent pretty much this whole year debating whether or not it would actually make any money. The answer is three hundred million. It appears so. <laughs> I'm happy with that. But but next up, we're going through Marvel. We're looking at the good, the great, and the amazing Spider-Man too. You can you can find us on our blog at thefilmroom.podme.com. There we will have many links, many many links, uh, to various things uh, related to this cast. Uh, you can find us on our twitters. We are at filmroomcast. Uh, I am at permanentmanprd. Austin is at untitledusr. See our thoughts on film and many other things. Amanda's Twitter is at aelishen. Yes. Like us on Facebook. Uh, we're facebook.com slash thefilmroom. We update that with, of course, the episodes and, again, many other things, like bits of news that we find that we haven't come across. Uh, maybe many reviews for things that we've recently seen. Mm-hmm. And you can email us with love, hate, suggestions, anything at filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And at, by this point, well, you have started the um, the site blog? Yes. Uh, at this point, I'm hoping to get the first entry up within the next couple of days, which will deal with the quote-unquote geek barrier. I'm starting a side blog, thefilmroomlobby.wordpress.com. I know you'll be writing on that, and uh, I will I will try to guest on there uh, as much as I can. The, the idea behind this blog is going to be that it's going to augment with thoughts... In situations like for the Marvel cast, where things kept going with Guardians in a way that we didn't expect, uh, that inspired some thoughts that didn't quite fit into a podcast. So, just a nice little supplemental thing for y'all. Yep. So later. Later, y'all. actor that portrays the part and guy it's killing me that i'm not remembering his name i'm gonna look it up i have the wikipedia page pulled up right now to reference please do baby oh, i'm sorry i slipped That's okay. we had a we had a vow going into this that i was going to avoid pet names but one of them slipped out <laughs> do just whatever not, <laughs> just not too many pet names that's okay <laughs>